I got involved at Riv, uh, probably, I've been working here for like five or so years, but probably got involved as a high schooler, right out of high school, really. I've been at Riv Westside since it started. Previous to that, I had been born and raised in the church, and then I took a vacation for a few years, <laughs> kind of like 27, and then I came back to the church. Well, I became a Christ follower in 91, and I started, uh, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and not being disparaging, but just wasn't really feeling it there. And so I had some friends who were going to Riv uh, back when they met at the Kellogg Center. I was born in 1930, so <laughs> I'm 90-plus. Awesome. There you go. <laughs> but I give thanks every time I sit down. It's, I am blessed more than anybody. Yeah. I've been going to Riv for, I think, about 18 years, but uh, I live in the church. Yeah. And I'm glad the church lives in me. There you go. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. I was born in 2002. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I originally got into Riv when we moved here. And uh, sorry, TJ, it's going to break your heart. But my mom made me go to chaos. Ooh, yeah, made you go. Yeah, but I loved it. I started to love it. Uh, so after <laughs> after a few weeks, I like I was like, Mom, can I go? Can I go? Please, can I go? I was raised Christian, but you don't really you don't listen to your parents. You have to listen to someone else. So then that like brought me more to Christ, and I just learning more about grace and then giving grace really just. Yeah. When I was a young kid. Um, my dad was in the hospital for two years. He came out of the war and he had tuberculosis. And it was, my mother was the stay-at-home mom. She wasn't working. It was a church that basically pulled us through. So the community aspect of church to me appears much different now than it used to be when I was younger. I mean, everything was the church, you know, the family, the friends, the support, the help. And how you do community is very different. Like you said, I mean, community was literally community. Now you can have community with well, and, you know, a different levels Families live more depth, in, so, in yeah. a group and, and closer. Why are you laughing, Dick? Are you laughing at me? You can't believe what it was like when I first had to go into church. Well, you aren't that much older than I am. <laughs> well, when I was going to church, I wore knickers. Oh, well, you are that much different. <laughs> well, I still wear shorts. My, I see I had that. My first pair of long pants when I was confirmed at 14. Wow. <laughs> so the, yeah. dress, the dress code is different in church. Oh, the dress code is definitely different. <laughs> because church everywhere, anybody went to church put on their best. Yep. And I can remember my parents saying it, that getting dressed up was a sign of showing respect sure. for God's house. Exactly yeah. it. Yeah. When I first came to Riverview, I saw Noel up there in shorts, barefooted. Yeah. <laughs> and I asked my son, I said, are you sure we'll want to go to church here? I think it's interesting you guys say that because I, like, when I was little, we'd always dress up, like you said, and, like, look our nicest and yeah. best. And I had no idea what I heard. <laughs> and then just going to, like, Riv, like, it is less, like, I guess, dressy. But, like, I feel like I'm absorbing more and I'm listening and I'm like, wow, like, like, this is, this is Well, cool. and I think you're right. What we would have considered dressed up back then or what I consider might be totally different for someone. What's important is your goal. Absolutely, yeah. yep. I think what at the base of it all is like getting past that, that piece. Right. I mean, there's time, I take my hat off when I go to my grandparents. And sometimes when we're praying, I leave my hat on because there's sometimes I want students to know 
that God does not require that for your heart to be right. open for, to, for him to hear you. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's whose you are, yeah. you know, more than what you wear. So I think joining church groups or ch church people is uh, a big plus. Mm -hmm. I'm, I, I like to go to a Bible study, not just to read the Bible, but just, just to interact, communicate yeah. more than anything yeah. else with them. Mm -hmm. You can't pick you can't, and choose. You can't do you? Yeah, but nobody said there was any rules. So. <laughs> you try. Make yeah. them up as you go, man. <laughs> this continues down that same track, though. Did you have, um, did you have, or do you have a mentor or someone you looked up to? So when I first started coming to Riv, um, I was, gosh, I think it was 21 at that time, and uh, I connected with Paul Denherter. Uh, one of the original pastors here. And Paul and I would get together and go to lunch. I mean, like hundreds of times we went to lunch. And Paul just spent time with me, yeah. you know, just tons and tons of time with me, which was just, it's really it was so foundational for me, you know, so. I think that's huge. We yeah. live in such a fast-paced society and we aren't necessarily that great at setting priorities. And that's what it takes to be able to to communicate, especially the gospel times, you need to have time with them. Mm -hmm. yeah. you, know, you can't develop that relationship and hit them over the head with the Bible. Right. You know? Tell me about your mentors, huh? Huh, hmm. I would say <laughs> one of them. I don't, I don't know, you might know. No, I'm just kidding. TJ, and then- Oh, also, I didn't know if it was me, actually. Oh, I thought it was somebody else. <laughs> 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 oh, nice. I thought, yeah, no, no stop. No, okay. no. But no, mentorship-wise, like Emma for sure, um, she just always, she was there for me whenever I needed her, which now doing the same thing, I'm like, I don't know how she did it because like it's just the amount of time is crazy. Like I remember texting her at like 1 a.m. and being like, Emma, oh, like this happened. Like I don't know like what to do. And she'd text me back and I'm just like, what? Like I didn't think someone could love me so much to reply and in a timely fashion at 1 a.m. <laughs> and now like thinking, I'm like, I would so do the same for like the girls that are in my group too. I'm like, oh my gosh, if they texted me and they needed something, like, heck yeah, like, let me like reply now. And so like, I think that just like built so much. Like I I'm loved, so like, let me outpour love to other people. And I don't know if I would be giving as much like grace and love and time and commitment to things if I wasn't given that. Mm. The amount of conversations we've had, you know, about commitment for this very reason, you know, if Paul took you out once, you wouldn't be talking about him. Right. Even yeah. three times. Right. And if he didn't call you into something, you know, maybe you would be, but it'd been a, it's a, there's a missional piece connected to the why we do the thing and why we look, you know, mentor and why, you know, we look to be mentored. And, you know, when we talked about leading is like this awesome thing, which has been a vision of what we do and, handed down from Riv, um, she talked about that. Yeah, thanks for being a leader. But. So it looks like you got a question there. Listen, what do you see as a unique challenge in this generation that you didn't have in your life? Yeah, let's skip that one. Yeah. <laughs> no, that sounds interesting. <laughs> Young people today, I, lo I look and watch it even like when I talk to my grandson, I look back, you have so many options, you have so many inputs, you have so, you know, how do you know 
what to choose and what to believe and and what to go with. I mean, unless you have someone yeah. mentoring you or guiding yeah. you, it's Which just... They say Generation Z is uh, endless information with virtually no mentors. You know, there's no dinner table anymore. Actually, people are getting rid of their dinner tables all the time because people don't eat at dinner tables anymore. Mm. There's just less and less of that. And so, although that's a unique challenge, I think that that's a, a unique opportunity too. Yeah. It's super easy as a person now that has two kids to invite other people to our house and say, hey, come eat mm -hmm. at the table, you know, or come eat and um, experience family, you know. I just think that if we would talk to each other more, we're more open and understanding. I think the olders are more open and understanding than the youngers hmm. think we are. And then maybe we're totally wrong about that. We don't know because we don't talk to them much, you know. Or, you know, I don't want to impose on the youngers and say, okay, this is the way it should be. I think be the older you get, the more forgiving you are. Yeah, I agree. I guess that's what I'm trying to say, and Dick. That, you're right. Yeah, because you realize you've been a mess all over the place. And what's nice about a small group like this is, is you can be open and you can talk. And we don't. We just, whether we're older or younger, we try and run around church looking like we're all these wonderful things. I'm just a messy mortal out there just hanging out you know i don't know anybody in the church that's older than me <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh, we're working on it we're working on it Sorry. it's always a blessing to me to be around people like you amen hello <laughs> good morning i don't know why everyone's so no i'm just kidding um so yes, for all those of you who are curious, Steve and I were at the Holt venue. <laughs> you saw us. And yes, I drove the speed limit <laughs> on the way back for many reasons. Primary reason, you were all going to wonder that. So um, I just <laughs> wanted to share that. But um, no, our creative and tech team figured out a way to make uh, the recognition of Young happen at all of our venues. And have us all be at our venues. So I still don't understand how, but it happened. So, um, but no, Steve and I, uh, we were so thankful to be at Holt this morning uh, to recognize Young as one of our pastors. Um, it's just such an encouraging weekend when we have weekends like that. You know, for me, I remember that uh, back in February of 2015. It was seven years ago. And, you know, whenever we recognize a pastor, as Noel said in the video, it's, it's a recognition of something that's already true. Young has been pastoring and leading in our church um, for a little while. And we're just so thankful that he's on our team. And, and I'm just especially excited for the MSU venue. He's the, Young is the venue director over there. And just they have a fantastic leader and shepherd in him. And so uh, just an awesome, awesome weekend uh, to be part of that. You know, it's, awesome. it's also a really cool thing uh, that we're recognizing Young as, an, as a pastor here uh, this weekend because of the core value that we're talking about. We're talking about what it means for us as a church to be multi-generational, but also to be next generational, to raise up youngers in our church. And Young is now the youngest pastor uh, on our elder team. So it's just, it's just such a, a cool day. 
But uh, we're also talking through this new mission statement we have in this new series. We've been in this series for about a month. And the new mission statement we have here at Riverview is that at Riv, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like him. This is kind of who we are as a church we want to be. But coming out of that mission statement are some core values. We've hit some uh, talking about being biblically holistic and humble. You'll actually see all of those core values on the screen behind me. But again, this morning, we're talking about the core value of being multi-generational and next-generational. Uh, But this is an interesting one uh, because for thousands of years, there has been a significant divide between older and younger generations of people that exist together in the culture and in communities. Uh, Older generations of people have expressions uh, that have existed seemingly since the beginning of time. You ready? Kids these days, (laughs) right? Yeah, back in my day or when I was a kid, And then all those expressions go on to highlight how the younger generation is inferior (laughs) to the one who's speaking about them. And this isn't a new thing, okay? Like Aristotle, who existed 25 or uh, about 2,500 years ago, 4th century BC, this is what he said about young people. He said, they think they know everything and they're always quite sure about it. (laughs) That's Aristotle. Um, But see, this isn't only in one direction, okay? It's not only olders looking down at youngers. Younger generations do the same thing uh, to olders. Younger people often look down at olders uh, for maybe being out of touch with the issues of the day or being stubborn or being unwilling to change their views on significant issues. Now, this tension was kind of seen pretty clearly a couple years ago. When the younger generation, the Gen Z, uh, came up with this two-word expression that just encapsulated this feeling. It's okay boomer. Um, Young people started saying this and saying it online to when an older person would share with the younger person, hey, this is how you should live. This is what you should believe. A young person would just do this, and they'd say, okay, boomer. Like that, and that is the, the equivalent of like a virtual eye roll. I mean, if you do that online uh, to someone, and the Gen Z population has really just mass marketed this. There's sweatshirts and phone cases with this case. But what they're saying there is, we don't really care what you think. This divide exists. There's a global and cultural crisis here between older and younger generations, and we've always been there. It's this reality that generations tend to divide rather than be unified. And because this exists in our world, and because it exists in our culture, in our city, it can easily exist within these four walls. It can exist in our church family too. That's why it's our desire. That's why this is a core value. That as a church family, we want to pursue honor and unity and, and love in our relationships instead of pride and division. That we as a church can be multi-generational, but can also be next-generational. So that's where we're going to be spending our time today. Uh, We're going to go through this core value line by line. And we're going to start our time in 1 Timothy chapter 4. So if you want to open up your Bible, if you have it, you can do that. Uh, But the first line of this core value, there's three sentences. The first line says this. The local church is made up of people from multiple generations, okay? Our church family here at the Westside venue and at Riverview of all of our other venues, it's filled with men, women, and children who were born and raised in different times and in different places. We have the silent generation. We've got baby boomers. We've got Gen X. We've got millennials. We have Gen Z and the newest group. They have a name. 
oh yeah, <laughs> right? The newest generation of people are generation alpha. I know, <laughs> just get chills, right? But no, these, and it's funny because these are kids born since 2010. So I think we're okay. But, um, but no, this has been true of the church since the very beginning. The church has always been multi-generational. And one example we have of this is the church in a particular city in, in the book of 1 Timothy. So Timothy, he was a pastor of a church in Ephesus. Uh, this was a really prominent city in the first century. It was located in modern-day Turkey. And for a long time, Ephesus was like the second biggest city um, in, in the Roman Empire. And Ephesus was really known for a lot of things culturally, but one was they had the Temple of Artemis. This is one of the seven wonders of the world. And Ar- Artemis was this supposed goddess of fertility. So people would travel to Ephesus to worship her uh, if they wanted to have children or they wanted to do all these other things. And, and this type of worship, it was done in ways that was the complete opposite of the Christian sexual ethic. It was just completely different than Christianity. But this was the culture in Ephesus when Timothy was a pastor, when he was leading the church, he was preaching, he was caring for people. And the Apostle Paul wrote Timothy some letters. These were letters of encouragement, And in the first letter, he writes this, starting in chapter 4, starting in verse 16. He writes, Pay close attention, Timothy, to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. Okay, so the first thing Paul tells Timothy is like, Tim, you need to watch your life, okay? You need to follow Christ yourself, and you also need to pay attention to what you are teaching. You should pursue holiness in your conduct, in your relationships within the church and outside of the church, but also you need to teach this. You need to teach it well. You need to know it so much that you can teach it to your people. These two things, your life and your doctrine, are intricately tied together in the office of pastor, And that was who Timothy was. But right after this, we see Paul give Timothy instruction on how to lead and care for the specific groups of people in the church. And there were four that Paul highlighted. Older men, older women, younger men, and younger women. And I love that Paul talks about uh, them as, as brothers and fathers because that is a church family. It's the same language there. The first people that Paul talks about are the older men. It says, don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Timothy was encouraged to lead the older men in his church as he would his own dad. Not with rebuke or not with correction, but with gentle exhortation. Now that word to exhort, that's just an urging someone to do something. It's encouragement. It's it's moving them along. And Timothy was encouraged to come alongside the older men in his church gently, guys who could be his dad, and do that for them. Timothy was also to treat the younger men as brothers. Uh, brothers can be treated more directly than dads, I think. Not as much concern with honor uh, when it comes to brotherly relationships. If you have a brother, I do. That was my life. Um, you know, I wonder if Timothy ever had the, the strategy of the old numb arm punch Like, hey, younger guy, knock it off, right? I mean, that's leadership 101, just punch him. Um, Simple, quick, and effective. Uh, Worked on me with my older brother. So, um, but no, Timothy, he was to see the younger men in the church as brothers. 
He was to lead them. He was to care for them. Paul also told Timothy to treat older women as mothers. We actually read about Timothy's mom and grandma in the New Testament. In the next letter that Paul writes, their names were Eunice and Lois. And we see that they were actually very influential in Timothy becoming a Christian. They, they led him to Christ. So Timothy was to think about them as he led the older women in his church with honor and with gentleness. And finally, we see that Timothy was to treat the younger women as sisters with all purity. No punches <laughs> here, uh, but loving and honorable leadership to them. That would come from a pure heart and pure conduct as a brother to them as well. So Paul's encouragement to Timothy here and how to lead and care for people in his church, we actually see that there's this truth that churches are multi-generational in nature. And this is true because the message of the gospel can change a person's life from a very young age all the way to the end of their life. You know, coming up on Easter, as, as Luke mentioned, we're going to be having baptisms. And, and when, when we do baptisms at Riverview, those are some of my favorite weekends. Because I'm always reminded that we are a multi-generational church. We have young children here at Riverview who believe in Jesus, <laughs> who believe in his life, his death, and his resurrection for their sins, and they get baptized. And then we also have grandparents and olders in our church who have never been baptized before who believe in Jesus. We have people who come to faith very recently and get baptized. And we have Christians who have been Christians for as long as they can remember. But they're finally choosing to make that commitment public in baptism. You know, when those services, when we have those services, I love them so much because they're such a celebration of this life in Christ that these people have, but it's also a celebration of our church family, that we're multi-generational. It's, it's something I'm so thankful for when, I, when we get to see olders and youngers celebrating Jesus in our service together. You know, as being multi-generational is something that we strive for and something that we celebrate Within that, we possess a particular posture when it comes to efforts in sharing the gospel with the next generations of people. And we see this in the next line of our core value. It says this, For the gospel proclamation to continue beyond ourselves, we unapologetically invite older generations to lay down their cultural preferences and pour into the next generations. Okay, so we're going to break this down. First and foremost, at Riverview, we are passionate about the gospel being proclaimed. Okay, when we say gospel, we mean good news. That's what the word gospel means. We are talking specifically about the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Our Christian faith centers on who Jesus is and what he has done. Because we believe that every human being comes into this world, we're spiritually dead. We are in need of forgiveness and redemption from our sin. And in Christ, we have that opportunity to be forgiven and to be redeemed. Because we are not perfect, but Jesus is. We deserve to die for our sin, but Jesus died instead. He took the penalty of sin onto himself, and he offers us forgiveness through belief in what he did. It is faith in Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 makes this very clear. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's not from you. It is from God not by work so that none of us can boast. This is the gospel. This is what we're going to talk about all the time at Riverview. The gospel is the core foundational theological truth that we stand on as a church. We will not shift from that. You know, last fall in our Roman series, Noel, he did a sermon that people call the bucket sermon. 
Um, if you remember that, Noel had a bunch of buckets on stage. He had a really small bucket over here, and then he had a big one over here. If you haven't watched this, you should watch it uh, on our app or online this week. Uh, but in this sermon, he goes through our core beliefs. The smallest bucket, bucket one, are the core salvific foundational beliefs of who we are as a church. And then you move down to bucket five. Those are more of the preferences. Belief in the gospel for salvation is, number, is in bucket one. But when you move down into the bigger one, that's where more cultural preferences live. Those may be things that we just prefer based on our age or our tastes or where, we, where we're from or what we value. And when it comes to bucket five, when it comes to cultural preferences, in order for the next generations of people to hear the gospel, the Gen Zs, the, the generation alphas, to come to our church and feel welcome, feel like we're speaking to them, we're going to err towards them. We're going to move towards them in those preferences. This may be styles of music. It might be use of technology. It might be the aesthetics of the spaces. It might even be cultural references and sermons. This does not mean that we're changing our theology. It doesn't mean that we're changing our beliefs to better align with younger people and what youngers in the world today believe. Not at all. But it does mean for the things we can change to help pursue younger generations to feel welcome here at Riverview, we're going to do that. That's what we mean by this core value. I mean, this has been a posture of Riverview since we started back in 1977. Riverview was a church plant that started as a campus ministry at Michigan State University. They existed on campus. And for the first years of their existence, it was in campus and in dorms. But that movement, it grew into a local church of those young people who had families. And then those young families have stuck around and we've become a multi-generational church. But the thread that has existed at Riverview ever since the beginning has been an emphasis on reaching younger people. This is my story. This is how I came to, to faith. This is how I came to be at Riverview. I became a Christian in high school. And I had some experiences in churches as a kid, but not a lot. But my faith took shape on Saturday nights at the Holt venue as a very highly caffeinated teenager, <laughs> thanks to Riverview, um, listening to pastors open the Bible and preach. And whenever I heard messages, I felt like they were explaining the scripture with me in mind. Just a young new punk Christian <laughs> trying to make sense of what it meant to follow Jesus as a high school student on my soccer team with my friends and my family. You know, there's been a lot of studies done over the last 10 to 20 years about faith and when people, the, the stage of their life when people tend to become Christians. The Barna Group is one of the leaders um, in these studies and they found out that two-thirds of people who identify as Christian adults, they came to faith, or 43% Two-thirds of them came to faith before the age of 18, 66%. 43% of those people came to faith before they were 12. Now, that's not saying people don't come to faith when they're older, but it is saying how impactful the gospel is with kids reaching younger generations. You know, I want to take a moment and pause because I do know that looking at this line of our core values, I understand that we are asking a significant portion of our church, a significant population of people here at the Westside Venue to give something up. We're asking many of you to be okay not having your preferences met. And that group is the older generation here. I know that. But I also want you to know 
that this core value is not communicating that there is a value difference between older and younger people in our church. Not at all. We are all made in God's image. We are all worthy of respect and dignity and honor, not because of how old we are, not because of how gifted we are or how impactful we are, but because we are all human beings. We bear the image of God himself. In our humanity, we are worthy of honor. And it is our hope that more and more people would come to know this God who made them through believing in the gospel of Jesus. And our hope is that many people do that here. So when we talk about cultural preferences, in no way are we saying that we only want one group of people in our church. Not at all. I think multi-generational churches are the healthiest, most vibrant, and most impactful churches. But that is only true if everyone in the church understands that they are indispensable. We love you. We want you here. The church is better because you are a part of it. And that's why the last line of our core value says this. The church is the strongest at the intersection of the wisdom and experience of olders and the passion and the innovation of youngers. Both youngers and olders, they they bring unique aspects to the church that make it stronger. And there's an intersection there of those two groups of people. Olders have wisdom and experience. I mean, we see throughout the Bible that older people possess wisdom and understanding that comes from just the school of life. (laughs) right, from just going through life, the joys and the sorrows, the highs and the lows of everything and learning from it. I mean, look at some of these verses that describe this. Job 12, 12. Wisdom is found with the elderly and understanding comes with long life. Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. And then Proverbs 20, verse 29, the glory of young men is their strength and the splendor of old men is gray hair. Not sure how I feel about that last one. Um, gray hair is not really in my future. Um, so no splendor for me, I guess. I think what, we're gonna call this being forever young, okay? That's what I'm gonna call it. Um, but these verses are just a few of many that describe how older generations can serve youngers by sharing their life with them. Your wisdom and your experience. Some of the most formative and impactful moments of my life have been when older men and women have sat down with me and shared their life with me. Their successes and their failures. What it was like to be newly married. What it was like to get through the young kid phase of parenting. (laughs) what it's like to balance ministry and family life. Those conversations that I've had, many with some of you, have been more meaningful and impactful in my life than any book I've read on marriage, parenting, or ministry. Because your family, you love me. (laughs) I love you. There is this relationship we have in our mutual faith together. And when that relationship is present, that is such a safe place for that wisdom and that experience to be heard and to be shared. When older generations of people commit to sharing their lives, their wisdom, their experience with youngers, the church is stronger. And that strengthening of the church continues with youngers, the passion and the innovation of youngers. You know, when Paul encouraged Timothy how to pastor the various groups of people in his church that came after 
an encouragement that he gave him a few verses earlier. This is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So what we know about Timothy is that he was a younger pastor. He was a younger leader in the church, so people in his church probably looked down on him. Commentators and theologians think that Timothy was maybe 30-ish. They maybe thought that he wasn't as wise. He didn't know as much as some of the older generations. But Paul's encouragement to him, it was to set an example. Show the people that God has given you to care for and to pastor what it looks like to passionately follow Jesus with how you talk, with how you live, with how you love people. Younger generations of people often possess this zeal and this passion that is unmatched for things. And when the gospel gets hold of that kind of person, that passion is leveraged for Christ, for Jesus. I'm convinced that there's going to be means of evangelism. There's going to be missional engagement. There's going to be ways that the church impacts the world that we just don't know about yet. That's going to come from the younger generation. Because youngers are often on the front lines of this changing world that we live in. So churches are stronger when they're active in raising up younger leaders. Asking for voices and input of of young men and women when it comes to ministry. Encouraging them to get involved instead of sitting and waiting until they're older. The church is strongest at this intersection of olders and youngers where there's mutual love and unity instead of, instead of pride and arrogance. You know, I said this last week when it comes to our core values, but I want to I share it again, that these are aspirational. We're hoping to move in, this, in these ways. These are who we want to be. Not necessarily who we are at this moment, but I really do think we're growing in this as a church. We are multi-generational. And we are next-generational. But to that end, I want to speak to three groups of people this morning. I want to speak to the olders, I want to speak to the youngers, and I want to speak to all of us. So first, to the olders. First thing I want to say is thank you. Thank you for being a part of our church family. Your presence here at the Westside Venue, your wisdom, your experience, your years of following Jesus faithfully, are such a powerful testament to the grace of God here in our church. To those of you who have done that with me personally, thank you. Thank you for sharing your life with me. I know you could go to another church where your your needs are met differently, maybe even better than we can here, but that you choose to stay and help us reach the next generation with the gospel, that is something I am so grateful for as one of your pastors. We cannot do this without you. Thank you. My hope and my prayer is that you would leverage your wisdom and your experience in your life serving and being present with youngers in our church. And one of the most powerful ways you can do that, it would be serving in Riff Kids. Because when people serve in Riv Kids once a month during our weekend services, they are serving more people than they think. I think we often think, yeah, I'll go, I'll hang out with kids, <laughs> I'll spend time with them during the service, but they have no idea that they are serving parents. 
You're serving youngers in, in multiple ways. Because those parents are able to come in here, spend time with their church family to worship and to hear truth. When older people spend time with my kids, it is an incredible blessing. And not just because that means I don't have to spend time with them, okay? Like there's way more than that. My kids are better human beings when other people, other than Danielle and I, are in their life. They are. And if you're an older here this morning and you want to serve youngers in our church during the weekend services, there is no greater place to do that than in Riv Kids. There isn't. Would you consider once a month giving yourself your wisdom, your experience, your love to that group of kids. Remember, that is a time of life for them where the gospel is most believed. It's children. Would you consider being a part of that? If you're in, if you're like, absolutely we would. You got a connect form when you came in. Write your name, write Riff Kids in there, we'll get you plugged in. But there's other ways beyond Riv Kids to do this too. Take an interest in getting to know youngers in our church. Don't wait for them to talk to you. Introduce yourself on a Sunday morning. Join a life group that's led by younger people. Come this fall, go to a Riv community. Those are gonna be multi-generational. We have middle school and high school ministries that exist here at the Westside Venue. Chaos and Element. Have your kids go to that. Have your grandkids go to that. Jump in. I came to faith because a college student gave his time and energy to spending time with me. It was that relationship, getting to see him follow Jesus, that I learned how. These are just a few of so many ways that olders in our church can serve and love youngers. Okay, now for the youngers. First thing I want to say to you is the same thing. Thank you for being a part of our church family. I know that being a Christian can be costly in many ways but it can be especially so for youngers in today's society and culture. Telling your friends or your classmates or your teammates that you go to church can be an invitation for scorn and ridicule. Choosing to follow Jesus at this point of your life, I know it can be costly, but remain faithful to him. It is worth it. And your presence in our church makes us stronger. Thank you for being here. We cannot do this without you. You know, as I think about how youngers, how you can best help us toward this end of being multi and next generational, my encouragement would be get involved. <laughs> be here. Take that next step. Serve on a team. Get plugged in with student ministries. If you haven't already done that, lead a life group. Become a member of our church. Make this church your church home if this is, who, if this is where you want to be. We want your passion to permeate through our church family. And that comes best through your presence, through being here, for being involved. My encouragement to you youngers would be to pursue your faith wholeheartedly in this stage of your life as an individual, but do so with these people here today. Finally, I want to speak to all of us together. As we pursue this core value of being multi-generational and next-generational, my hope is that as individuals toward one another, that we would possess three things. Grace, humility, and love. That our relationships with one another 
would reflect Jesus' relationship toward us, to show grace and forgiveness, to interact with one another in humility instead of pride, for our love for one another to be profound. You know, earlier I mentioned how we desire to make the gospel really clear here during our services. We do that every weekend. We do this when we sing. We do it when we pray, when we open the Bible and preach. But how we treat one another, that is a way we reflect the character of Jesus, where people can come and experience what life in him is like. You know, Paul wrote a, church, Paul wrote a letter to a church in Thessalonica, and he had this prayer uh, for them in that letter that I want to be our prayer for us this morning. I'm going to read that prayer, and then I'm going to actually close our time. And then we're going to sing a little bit more. But this is what Paul prayed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. This is what he says. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Amen. Let's pray. Well, God, I do, first, I just want to thank you for our church family. God, one of the great, greatest joys of my life is getting to be here as a member of this local family of people, multi-generational, olders, youngers, men, women, children, God, I thank you that we are united by something so much bigger and so much more powerful than, than preferences, than things that we would prefer. We are united by the blood of Jesus Christ. God, as we think about what it looks like to be a family of faith in a local place, in a context, on a, on a street corner here, God, I pray that you help us continue to think about the ways we as individuals can uniquely leverage our gifts, our experience, who we are, to not only help us grow as a church family, but to help us reach more people, to be present in the community, to love people. And when people come in, my prayer and my hope is that they just feel the love of Jesus in this place with these people, with this family. God, I thank you so much for old, the olders, for the youngers in our church. It's just such a blessing to be able to go through my life of faith with these amazing people. Help us all to see that as a gift as well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.